Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For a fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, 6 educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including the ones from the past five years, on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Private Tasting Salon. Even cowgirls get the brews, featuring Allagash Brewing and cheeses by Cowgirl Creamery, as well as other cheesemakers. I am Ginger Johnson. I get to be the moderator of this salon. I was here last year. Uh, I have women enjoying beer. I'm the only business on the planet that studies women and their relationship with beer. Uh, I do true research, and this is part of it. This is the tough part of the job, people, I'm telling you. Um, And uh, we are here, and so I'm going to give you a couple of uh, brief housekeepings. Uh, If you've been here before, you know it takes a lot of great sponsors to make this happen, and we are extremely grateful for them. People like... Full Sail Brewing, Flying Dog, New Belgium, Rogue, Saranac, Sierra Nevada, all those. When you visit those sponsor booths tonight, please make the extra effort to thank them because truly we are here because of their effort. Roger had an agreement. There you go. Thank you. Good crowd. Good crowd. All right. Um, Saver is brought to you by the Brewers Association, the association, the nonprofit association that represents the small and independent brewers in America which is what you're enjoying tonight. It's a great showcase. If you've been here before, you're here again for a reason. And if you're not here, you're going to have a great time. Hi, Martin. How you doing? All right, good. He didn't expect that, but that's all right. All right. And uh, this is going to be recorded, so you can check out the podcast and share it with your friends. Say, hey, I was in that room. So uh, thank you for everybody on staff. Everybody here does a great job. And with no further ado, I'm going to introduce our two presenters. Uh, anybody would like to go first? Peripheral vision coming in? All right, I'll do. The gentleman to my right, to your left, Rob Todd, Allagash Brewing. Rob has quite a seasoned background, as do a lot of people in the brewing industry, truly. Uh, how many of you know a brewer, or you're a local brewer? Oh, okay, good. Good start. Get to know more of them. Do you know there are over 2,000 small and independent breweries in the country right now? That's a lot. I know. She's like... Why don't I know this? You know this now. Get out, get to know them, because all brewers like to get to know their constituents, correct? And we are in D.C., so that's what you are. Thank you for coming. So Rob has done a lot of different things. He he is from Maine. He's lived in Vermont. And he lived in a van. Go ahead. I know somebody wants to say it. (laughs) Indeed. And it is true. He confirmed that fact. He's done a lot of different things, spent some time in Colorado. He landed up back in Vermont and uh, got into the brewing industry very incidentally, which a lot of brewers will do when you meet more of them, by washing kegs at a local brewery. I'm telling you, if you're willing to clean and work hard, you can get into the brewing industry. It is extremely egalitarian, and that's the biggest word I'm going to use tonight. So that's... (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's a good word Alright, and to my left Is Adam With Cowgirl Brewing Cowgirl Brewing, listen to me, I need a beer Cowgirl Creamery, even better There it is, right on his hat And um, Adam has a great background as well He is GM of the shop General manager of the shop Right here, I walked by it last night uh, From one event to another Cheesemaker Went to school, interdisciplinary studies. I don't know a better way to become a cheesemonger. I don't know about you. 
Um, he's done lots of different things, landscaping, and then through the power of Craigslist, he has become a cheesemonger. So because we only have an hour, those are the abbreviated biographies. And we're going to do a, ch- a course of five cheeses with five different beers. We're going to focus more on the about, the, the concept, and a lot of things related to beer and cheese together and why they go together and a lot of why kind of questions that, you know, this is great to match up specifically, well, this beer with this and this is this beer and this is this cheese. These guys have some incredible knowledge to share with you and they want to talk more about why they do what they do. There is no question that they are clearly passionate about what they do. If you have questions, please raise your hand and we will make sure your, answer, uh, your questions get answered. So Adam is going to talk us through your plate first, and then we're going to go ahead and start with the beer pairings. Yeah. So should I hold it? Yes. Everybody hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to give you a map, a map to uh, the plate here. Um, so there is one cheese. There's five cheeses, but one of the cheeses has a bunch of different colors on the rind. The rind is the external part of the cheese. It is that one. So if you could hold up your plate, it won't slide off. Uh, the one on top, uh, 12 o'clock, should face out. And we do this because from here on out, we'll go clockwise, and they'll go with the beers. Uh, so you guys should have Pierce Point, Red Hawk, Bela Hazen Blue, Cabot Cloth Bound, and Inverness. Those cheeses held the plate beautifully. Yeah. Um, so, does everybody have all the cheeses that they need? Please situate your cheese. Excellent. All right. Oh, and one other thing I have to say. Thank you. The, the other glass you got walking into this room is also yours to keep. It is different than your other saver glass. Spiegelau, who is our glassware sponsor. Yes, I mean, like, who doesn't want more great beer glassware, right? So, you get to take two glasses home with you tonight. Another bonus for being here at the salon. Yes, you do. You get to take it with you. Chances are good there might be some extras. So, Rob, you can, you, did you drive here or did you fly here? Flew. You flew, but you could still... Through Philly. Yeah. Through Philly. Beer week? Philly beer week. Oh, it's crazy. It's Has anybody else been to Philly beer week? Woo! Look at this guy has been in everything. If you want to go drink beer, get to know this gentleman. All right. So, with no further ado, let's talk about the first beer, and we'll talk about the first cheese, and then we'll go from there. Uh, I'll give you a super quick history of Allagash. I started Allagash, and actually the guy who put the beer in the bottles is here. Winch, raise your hand. Jason Winchester. Uh, I started Allagash about 17 years ago. Uh, just cobbled together a small, very manual system and did it alone for the first year. Brewing this beer, the Allagash White, it's kind of become our flagship since. First year's production was about 120 barrels, so we were extremely small. Over the first 10 years, we grew to about 3,000 barrels and slowly introduced uh, some new beers, all Belgian style, and that's all we've ever focused on is Belgian style. Uh, The first 10 years, no one wanted to drink Belgian style beers because they looked weird, tasted weird, cloudy, spicy. Uh, People didn't really understand them. Uh, But as you guys probably know, especially since you're here, the Belgian category has really taken off over the last few years. And we've grown in the last seven years from about 3,000 barrels to this year we'll do near 50,000 barrels. So been kind of crazy growth recently. But uh, this beer is still our flagship. It hasn't changed at all. We maybe played with the recipe for the first four months, and it's been the same beer ever since. So traditional unfiltered Belgian-style wheat beer, 
the Belgians call their wheat beer white beer because if you look at it, it's got a nice, elegant, white kind of straw veil to it. Forget that guy right there. Looks thirsty. Um, and uh, this beer is fermented with a Belgian yeast strain. That's what gives it uh, that traditional Belgian character. And uh, the flavors from the yeast really work well with spices that are traditionally added to this beer. And this beer is spiced with coriander, orange peel, and a secret spice. If you get me drunk enough, I'll spill the beans on the secret spice. And uh, Ginger mentioned I was a seasoned brewer. I was definitely very seasoned last night. And I would have... <laughs> Definitely spilled the beans on the secret spice if anyone had asked me. So you guys were there. You could have just asked me. <laughs> secret spice isn't ginger, is it? So before we go, before I have, pass this off to Adam, I'm going to assume that some of you know this, but I'm going to assume that some of you don't. Smelling your beer is really important. We are sensory creatures. You should absolutely smell your beer. So a couple of quick techniques. You can do the bloodhound, which is you put your nose in there. And you t take a couple of medium whiffs. Go ahead, do it. I mean, these glasses aren't full enough, but if you get a little dot of foam on your nose, that's really a badge of pride. And especially with a Belgian, where you're going to get a, a bigger head, theoretically, if you get a larger pour. Um, so smell that. The other one is a drive-by. Just take it underneath your nose. There we go. The gentleman in the brown shirt is on it. He's done this before, aren't you? You're seasoned as well, so to speak. I think you've just given a new reason or a new definition to seasoned. So make sure that you smell your beers if you don't. Make sure you share it and teach your friends because we smell our cheese, we smell our wine, we smell all kinds of other things. You know, somebody hands you a carton. Hey, Adam, this milk is sour. Smell it. No, we don't need to reestablish that. We've got it. <laughs> yeah, won't do it, especially as a cheesemonger. All right, Adam, tell us about this first cheese. Okay. Uh, the first cheese is Pierce Point. Pierce Point just got to our shop this morning off the truck from California. It is our brand new seasonal cheese. Uh, Cowgirl Creamery does four uh, seasonal cheeses. Uh, this is our summer seasonal. It was our fall seasonal, but this year we're actually releasing a new cheese uh, with uh, Piapini pia pia mushrooms on the exterior. Piapini, yeah. Um, so I guess I'll give a brief history, uh, just as Rob did about Cowgirl Creamery. Cowgirl Creamery started in the uh, mid-90s with Sue Conley and Peg Smith, who have extensive experience in Northern California uh, culinary industry. And the company was founded on uh, a lot of principles, mainly the principle of helping the dairy industry and supporting local producers of artisanal products. And uh, what that meant to them was people in Marin County specifically, uh, that's where they started their company, California. Yes, thank you. Um, which is, anybody been to Marin? You have family there. You're very lucky. We're in Marin. Larkspur, yeah, killer. That, the crackers the crackers are from uh, Rustic Bakery in Larkspur. Yeah. Um, who's been to the shop? Yeah. Who will go to the shop after this? All right, good. Um, so they started by buying milk from the first organic dairy west of the Mississippi, uh, which is important to point out because it was a very um, long ordeal to become certified organic. Uh, and uh, west, west of the Mississippi. Um, and with that milk, uh, first they started selling liquid milk, then they started making fresh cheese, like cottage cheese, fromage blanc, creme fraiche which we still sell and we still make. And 
fresh cheese is amazing cheese, and it's often overlooked, but check it out. Um, pretty soon, they began to make enough to sell uh, and bought enough products to promote, and then they started a cheese shop. Long story, very short. Uh, we now have three cheese shops. It's going to stay that way, I think. Uh, both owners are from D.C., and that's why we are back out here. We've been here for about six years, and uh, we have one shop in San Francisco, one shop in Marin, in Point Reyes Station. Have you been there, Point Reyes Station? It's north. It's beautiful. Uh, the cheese, uh, Pierce Point. Uh, so all of our cheeses except our seasonals and the Inverness, uh, which is the last cheese, um, are made with milk stra- uh, pr- sourced from Strauss Family Farms. This one in particular and the Inverness, the milk is sourced from a different farm, uh, from a gentleman named John Taverna, who has a closed herd of uh, organic Jersey cows. Um, it's important in cheese making to know the breed of your animals, and it's 100% Jersey cows. Uh, he gives the milk to uh, our Creamery in Petaluma. They produce the cheese. Uh, I thought that this would be a fun cheese, Rob, to pair with Allagash. Um, you mentioned the addition of spices such as coriander and things like that. Um, this has calendula, which is fun to say, uh, Thai basil, and uh, chamomile on the exterior. The first couple of years, they played around with the um, herbs and the seasonings. Uh, it's meant to just sort of accentuate the natural flavors of the milk. Uh, it's surface-ripened cheese, so like you said, if I may, very, br- very briefly, um, about uh, smelling the cheese, right? or smelling the beer, right? It's important. Um, with cheese, it's important to check out a lot of different things. The texture, um, getting down and dirty with your cheese is okay. I encourage it. There's napkins. I see loads of napkins. So pick it up and break it apart. You can see the curd structure. You can see the way the cheese um, has two different textures. You know, the texture underneath the rind and the texture in the middle. Um, pick up and play with your cheese throughout the night. Uh, except the th- uh, fourth one, it has honey on it. Avoid it. Um, yeah, it's, it's sneakily hidden underneath the cheese. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the Pierce Point. All right, thank you. Go ahead. And uh, most of you, are, I'm going to assume, know this, but I'm not going to assume everybody. One of the great things about pairing any beer with any food is at one point in the evening, at every taste, make sure you have some beer and some food in your mouth at the same time because the beer tastes one way in all its wonderfulness. The cheese tastes another way in all its extraordinary loveliness. And then when you put the two together, voila, that's where the child is born. That's where you get something completely different and unique. So try to make sure and do that. Rinse your glass. Make sure to drink the, I mean, if you want to, drink the water that you're rinsing your glass with. Make sure and drink plenty of water. The whole idea of savor is just that, to savor. This is not about getting drunk. This is not about getting blasted or even like overly buzzed, right, Rob? So, <laughs> yes, after, after savor, that's up to you. No, no, no. Uh, it's a wonderful product, and it's, it's easy to not pay as much attention. So enjoy in moderation. I would safely say that every brewer in America wants you to enjoy their beer in moderation. They want you to fully enjoy it, of course, but make sure that you have plenty of water to, uh, to enhance that moderation. So that was our first course. Uh, let's go ahead, um, let's introduce the second one, and then I have a, a key question to ask that the, the guys are going to share more with. So, Rob, what's the second beer? Uh, so this beer is the triple. We've been brewing this one for about, and I'm going to pull up some tasting notes with this beer and cheese. Uh, but uh, 
We've been brewing this one for maybe 13 or 14 years at the brewery. It's based on a traditional style brewed by the Trappist monks in Belgium. They traditionally brew a single, double, and triple. Tough to really pigeonhole them into categories, but the triple it generally is like this. Uh, light in color, 8 to 9% alcohol. This particular triple is about 9%. Um, and another thing i just all mention is we try these... Uh, Beer and cheeses, you know, you can take a sip of the beer and get some of the flavors and aromas for the beer. Do the same with the cheese. Play with your cheese. Sounds like he's encouraging us to do that. Um, and then try them together. And I think one of the things you'll notice is that the beer brings out flavors in the cheese that you weren't getting before and vice versa. The cheese will bring out flavors in the beer. And I was noticing with that cheese... Um, right when I tried the beer and the cheese together, it really brought out that, uh, is it the cam, is it chamomile you said? Yeah. I was having trouble putting my finger on it until you mentioned it. I was like, wow, the white really brought out that chamomile character. So look, look for characters, uh, that the beer, you know, I'll quickly read this since we had all these cheeses or, uh, three of them sent up to the brewery. We paired them at the brewery. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's right. So with this one, uh, the, these are kind of condensed comments from the brewers. Uh, the saltiness of the cheese is a nice contrast to the trop tropical esters in the beer. Uh, the dryness of the triple and creaminess of the cheese meld very well. Uh, and the contrast of the two creates a well-balanced experience. And the beer brings out nuttiness in the cheese. So you can see if you're getting that. Nice. All right. Adam, tell us about this wonderful cheese. All right. Uh, so this is called Red Hawk. Uh, Red Hawk is an organic cow's milk cheese. It's another one that Cowgirl Creamery makes. Um, you'll first notice that uh, as you pick it up, it's a little tacky, right? So that comes from uh, in tacky and texture, of course. Um, it, it's tacky because of the way the cheese is treated while it ripens. So a cheese ripens um, as it sits in a environmentally controlled room and uh, what happens when it ripens uh, is um, contributes to the overall flavor and texture and, and effect of the cheese and when it when it is done and ready um, and ripe so this is washed with a liquid and it's referred to as a washed rind cheese was that a good face or a bad face good yeah okay good uh, <laughs> good um, so uh, what happens when you wash a cheese like this? So you literally um, either will place a cheese in a brine bath or wash it even sometimes with beer or wine or spirits. Uh, in this case, we wash it with a brine. Um, and it creates a perfect, perfect environment on the exterior of the cheese to encourage the growth of certain bacterias, which in turn ripen the cheese. Uh, the term washed rind cheese refers to all those aromatic, stinky cheeses. Um, we had people in the shop restrain themselves and not use the words use the word stinky. It's okay. Um, this cheese should smell. Uh, and um, this is a great beer cheese in general. Uh, with Allagash's Belgian-inspired beers, I think that it goes um, particularly well. Uh, one of the reasons why we why we chose this is. Uh, um, it's often quoted that the origin of these cheeses uh, is attributed to um, uh, beer making way back when in monasteries where you had monks in monastic orders where, uh, you know, working with your hands was just part of your daily tasks. And oftentimes they made cheese or bread uh, or beer. And if you get monks in a monastery with beer and cheese, 
beer ends up on the cheese at some point. And so the the style was um, a lot of people think it you know originated back then in those places. Yes, sir. Uh, that that sounds awesome, but um, not necessarily. So we make cheese. We started making cheese. Uh, Cowgirl Creamery. The the mission of uh, the company at large is to contribute to a sustainable market for American cheese producers and farmstead artisan producers of cheese uh, and other products, uh, but mostly cheese, of course. So we are one of the many small producers that we promote and support. We make cheese uh, on a relatively small level, but we also distribute and promote um, cheeses that are made around the country. Is that common to be both cheese Not necessarily. Uh, uh, oh, thank you. You have cheese on your nose. That's a badge of pride. <laughs> <laughs> she said foam on the nose is a badge of pride, so she, it, it has to be. Um, the question was, is it common to have... Uh, all sorts of businesses wrapped into one, a producer, a distributor, and a cheese shop, and it's really not. Um, that's one thing that makes Cowgirl Creamery unique is that we are able to uh, help the guests of the shop as they come in and taste cheese and, and purchase cheese from an open-air cheese counter where everything is cut to order. Uh, but we can also help wholesale customers, restaurants around the country and around the city of D.C. and in San Francisco and in Point Reyes where we have shops. Uh, and we also can sell the cheese that we make. I mean, you can come to the shop and taste the cheese that we make, and you can also come buy, you know, incredible cottage cheese and fromage blanc and creme fraiche, but also buy cheese from around the country. You know, we're, we're part of a bigger market, and we work to um, promote it. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. So, so far, thumbs up? Yes? Excellent. Right on. Yeah, cheese and beer goes really well together for a number of reasons. I'm going to let um, Rob take that question. Um, a lot of people, you know, we do wine and um, wine and cheese, and the wine industry has done a spectacular job at telling us that cheese goes well with beverages. So we're going to do a little quick poll. Raise your right hand if you drink wine. Raise your left hand if you drink beer. And cross them if you drink spirits. All right, so we've got a lot of cross drinkers in the room. So uh, Julia Hers, who is a dynamo with the BA, the Brewers Association, who's the host of this, um, that's her classic move, and I love Julia and adore her, and she's down on the floor tonight. And it's interesting because I, I want to point out that as a researcher, flavor is flavor, truly. Who cares where your flavor comes from? I mean, you do care. But it doesn't matter as long as you know where your flavor comes from. That's what it boils down to, folks. You want great flavor, Yes. Like my biology teacher in 10th grade said, nod your head so I can hear something. Yes, he was right. If flavor is what it's all about. So, Rob, tell us why beer and cheese go so well together. Well, one of the reasons, and, you know, wine and cheese does go great together. I like drinking wine. Uh, obviously drink a lot more beer. But uh, one of the reasons uh, it goes great with cheese is that there's just a huge variety of beers available. They're just all over the map. You have stouts to brew with some beer, uh, with some cheese. Uh, you can go with like a Czech Pilsner, uh, a tart Lambic style beer, one of which we'll be trying today in that style. Um, you can uh, choose Brett beers, uh, uh, all the British styles like a pale ale, IPAs. So there's, there are obviously 
I mean, probably uh, hundreds of different kinds of cheese. And there's, re- there's probably a style of beer for every kind of cheese. And I think with wine, you're just a little more limited with the range of styles that are available. Um, I think that's it. Okay. Right. Guys, would you agree that it's uh, safe to assume that because beer is a living organism, you've got the four main ingredients, of course, right? You're nodding your heads. Yes, we know this. Okay. You've got water. You've got the grain, which is usually malted barley the hops and the yeast. It's a living organism. It should always be refrigerated. Put up a fuss. If you go in somewhere and you see the beer is unrefrigerated, tell them to take the sour cream out because it's already sour and put the beer in the refrigerator. I slightly jest. But beer is a living organism. You've got to treat it as such. Take good care of it. All beer should be stored chilled. Not all of it should be served chilled, but all of it should be stored chilled. Cheese is also a living organism. It's changing. It's morphing all the time. So do any of you cellar any beers that you get? Some of you keep beers on hand for a while, right? Okay? Same kind of thing. The more the cheeses mature, the more the flavors change. There's ranges on when you can enjoy some of those for optimum flavor and freshness and so forth and so on. So that's another little thing to think about. Both beer and cheese are alive. And so they're going to change. They're going to have some fantastic complements to go with each other. And that's another great reason why beer and cheese should go together. So, yes, please do. Uh Another reason, just really briefly, is texture. Uh, wine is often still, unless it's not, and it has bubbles. But beer, uh, beer um, nearly always has bubbles. And a big component of cheese is butterfat. And butterfat has the um, textural effect of almost uh, coating your palate. And uh, the, the effervescence of beer works really well texturally with cheese. Um, you know, that's why when people often ask what goes well with champagne, they say anything, really, because the, the bubbles work so well texturally with nearly any cheese. Um, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about beer and cheese pairings is the textural effects as well. And just like you said, there's such a wide range of styles. There's, there's an, another wide range of textures as well. Absolutely. So the beer that's coming out next, Rob will tell us about shortly. But one thing I want you to notice is the color of that beer. Color is a huge component in how we perceive things. And so I want you to raise your right hand and repeat after me. Raise your right hand. Go ahead. I promise not to be a beer racist. All right. Being a beer racist means you're judging the beer by the color, which just doesn't hold any water, quite frankly. Color in your beer comes from the ingredients. It's pretty much that simple. It is not a foregone conclusion in what it tastes like. If you take something like Guinness, which we probably all passed over our taste buds, it's actually a pretty light-bodied beer. It's dark as night. So don't judge the beer by the color. This Allagash Black, I can't wait to wrap my taste buds around this. I haven't had this. Rob, don't make us wait. Uh, So the Black, this is one of the beers, one of the more semi-recent beers we've been doing. We've probably been brewing this, what do you think, Winch, like six or seven years, something like that. Uh, uh, We've been doing a lot of beers lately that are tough to pigeonhole into a specific Belgian style. This is really one of them. We've really been uh, trying to brew beers lately that that really push the style or are their own styles. Uh, So this is a stout, quote-unquote, stout recipe. The Belgians really don't brew a stout necessarily. But what we do is we ferment it out with a... uh, a Belgian, actually an Abbey yeast strain. So you, you keep uh, mentioning so something. It, hello, hello. Is this on? Hello. Oh, what was that? 
it's on. You, you keep mentioning something that I oh, think well. is interesting that uh, uh, you know it's easier for the consumer. So it, uh, like, it's it a, it's a pretty interesting whatever, style of beer. There are a couple Belgian breweries brew a quote unquote like stout. Um, so this is in that. Lighter. I mean, this is in that style. I mean, is there a savings there? Another thing you'll notice as you try these cheeses in beers, you'll notice that some beers really complement the cheese as well, and some of them contrast the cheese as well. So as, as you're trying it, you can... Uh, I think these two really contrast nicely. Yeah, so uh, Ginger was asking about the, the thickness of the bottle. All of our bottled beers are re-fermented in the bottle, which means they're bottled with little to no carbonation. And just prior to bottling, we'll, and this is a traditional Belgian process, we'll add a fresh dose of actively fermenting yeast and sugar to the beer, mix it up, bottle it, and seal it, and then the beer goes in, into a cellar or warm room. And there's actually a secondary fermentation in the bottle that naturally carbonates the beer, very similar to the method that uh, winemakers use to make champagne. And what that does is it uh, adds complexity to the beer, it'll add shelf life, and it, it makes it authentic to the Belgian style. And some of these beers, this being one of them, are uh, very highly carbonated. And you, you were mentioning uh, that just the texture of carbonation. There are also lots of different uh, kind of quote-unquote types of carbonation. You can have a real kind of soft, gentle carbonation in a Guinness. Um, you might, in a beer like this, have a more prickly uh, intense carbonation. So this carbonation is pretty high, and the bottle needs to be very uh, thick to withstand that pressure from the carbonation. Thank you, Rob. So what beer or uh, what cheese are we pairing with this beer, Adam? And uh, tell us all about it. Well, uh, we are pairing Bailey Hazen Blue. Has anybody had Bailey Hazen Blue before? Nobody in the room. One person. All right. What's that? Who's had? Well, she wanted to know who's had cowgirl cheeses before. Anybody had Red Hawk before? Excellent. Has anybody had Inverness before? The end of it? Not a single person in the room? No. <laughs> it's a very small town, though. I don't know. Um, so, uh, blue cheeses uh, tend to be bigger in flavor, uh, bolder in flavor. Uh, a lot of them are, we're talking about texture, a lot of them are higher in moisture and texture, a lot creamier. Uh, this particular blue cheese is a little bit on the drier side for a blue cheese. Um, it is made up in Vermont in Greensboro by uh, Jasper Hill Farms. Um, Jasper Hill is a farmstead operation. Anybody know what the term farmstead means when we talk about cheese? So farmstead, anybody know what grower champagne means? All right. Uh, grower champagne is somebody who not only makes the champagne but also grows the grapes for it. Uh, it's, it's like a grower dairy, right? It's uh, the dairy, the, the liquid part of it, and the creamery, the cheese part, is on the same premise. Um, we love farmstead cheese. We love most cheese, but uh, uh, farmstead cheese is great because there is um, a lot of control over every aspect of the business and every aspect of the operation. Um, so Jasper Hill has a herd of their own Ayrshire cows. Ayrshire is another breed. We mentioned Jersey before. Uh, and they make a number of different cheeses. Uh, they not only make a number of different cheeses, all of which are fantastic, but they also uh, age cheeses from around the region and distribute them, and that's uh, under the name Cellars of Jasper Hill. And I know that we'll talk a little bit about um, American cheese and the state of American cheese and state of American beer. Uh, they're contributing to um, the development of uh, the idea of regionality uh, by taking... Um, cheeses of the region and uh, 
aging them in one place, giving it really a strong sense of place. Sense of place is very important with cheese. Um, but I digress, and I'll talk about this particular one. Uh, Bailey Hazen is a blue. This particular blue is from February. Uh, it's, it's fun. We have um, all spring cheeses on the plate. Uh, it just depends on what year they're from. Uh, Bailey Hazen is from this past February. Uh, it's important to know when cheese is from because different seasons will produce different compositions of milk and therefore result in different qualities of cheese. Uh, people love spring cheeses. People love cheeses of all sorts. Uh, but Bailey Hazen, um, we picked with the Allagash Black uh, because of its deep, uh, dark flavors, um, roasted notes, chocolatey notes, uh, really pair well with uh, the um, deep flavors of Bailey Hazen. Uh, sometimes we get a little bit of anise flavor from the Bailey Hazen, um, and we've actually been seeing a lot, a lot in uh, flavors recently. You're shaking your head like you agree, and um, what do you guys think? They did go well together? Yeah? Yeah, one thing that I'm getting from this pairing is that I think there's a cool contrast between the creaminess and the kind of silkiness of this beer and the, and the sharpness of the cheese. And I think the cheese really brings out some nice chocolate notes in the beer that you, that you don't get in the absence of the cheese. Cool. Excellent. Martin, what was your question? So the question is, we know that beers have been cellared for a long time. Is there an equivalent with cheese? Yeah, definitely. I read an article once about a, a wheel of cheese had been held onto by a cheesemaker for like 15 years or something. And they were cleaning the shelves, and somebody knocked the shelf, and it fell and broke. Um, and you can imagine if that would happen with an aged wine or aged beer, you'd be heartbroken. Um, each different type of cheese, if each different style, um, requires... It's a wonderful sound in the background. Uh, it requires a different um, environment for aging um, and has different uh, aging potential. Uh, if you took that Inverness on the end and tried to age it out for a long time, and by age it out for a long time, I mean compared to the Cabot Clothbound, which is from February of 2011, um, that Inverness would not be good. Uh, the texture would be dried out. The flavor would be um, off. And, you know, it's not meant for that type of aging. Um, so uh, some people, I mean, in, in reference to the question, do you mean can you take cheeses home and cellar them? He's not listening. Um, you, you, it, it depends. Um, taking home a cut piece of cheese off of a wheel um, is not, not exactly like taking home an open bottle of wine, but it, it, there's exposed surfaces and um, it tends to dry out a bit. Uh, and um, each, like I said, each type of cheese as a whole has different aging potential. Um, each type of cheese, when cut from a counter, has different aging, not aging, different shelf life potentials within your fridge. Um, I did see a hand go up in the back. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, you've had a bottle of black in your fridge for a year. That's a good question. Uh, for this beer, I drank it within a year. Uh, 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 
Uh, that's a tough question. So many people are aging beer now, and there's so many beers that are available now that you can age versus 20 years ago. There wasn't much out there. It, it's our experience at the brewery that the higher ABV beers, higher alcohol beers, tend to age better. But uh, really the beers we find age really well are beers like the one we're about to drink, which has Britannomyces, which is a wild yeast, or bacteria, um, the lactobacillus, pediococcus bacteria that make beer tart. Those tart beers and Brett beers tend to age really well. So this beer, we've got some that's uh, seven or so years old that's still drinking phenomenal. Um, but uh, we feel like the Curio that's at 11% that doesn't have Brett or bacteria, um, a- after seven years, it, it's maybe not at its best anymore. So I drink the black. So this beer, this is an interesting beer, and, and we thought this pairing was phenomenal at the brewery. This was our favorite pairing. Uh, it, it's, it's just amazing the flavors that the cheese brings out in the beer and vice versa. But this beer is fermented uh, with two different yeast cultures. First, a uh, saison. We'll add a saison yeast to it, let it ferment for three days, and actually the fermentation will stop. Saison yeast really likes to see rapidly rising temperature, and we keep a low temperature and don't let it rise. So the yeast will stop and drop out in the tank, and then we'll add a Britannomyces yeast to it. And it's a yeast we found naturally growing in a batch of beer at the brewery that we've isolated and cultured. Um, and it's not a real kind of coarse, horse blankety brett. It's a much fruitier brett. It still has that horse blanket kind of barnyard character, but, it, but it's got much more fruit um, than I've gotten in most of the brett beers that I've tried. Uh, that brett fermentation takes a long time. It actually takes uh, four to six months. Very, very slow fermenter. But it ferments the beer out extremely dry. And then this beer, a portion of this beer goes into French oak wine barrels and spends an additional 10 months to a year um, while beer in stainless ages next to it, and then the two are blended together and bottled. So it's a real complex beer, really got a lot of uh, Venice kind of wine notes to it. And I'll also mention the honey that this cheese is on, our controller is one of the most recognized honey makers in Maine and pretty well known really in the country. Uh, uh, she makes a ton of honey and has a ton of hives. And, and this is from one of her hives, actually, on the road I live on, right down the road from the brewery. And uh, it, it also, honey will vary depending on uh, what's blossoming. And this is a spring honey that was just made this spring. Yeah, and, and I'll give you the description of the honey that she gives in terms of exactly what it is. This is a, oh, it's a 2011 spring clover slash wildflower honey. Probably flowers at my house, probably dandelions at my house. <laughs> I'll make it, yeah. What splitting it into the oak and it's a good question. So what does splitting it to the oak and the stainless do? It basically gives it a lot of complexity. Um, if you've tried wines like a Chardonnay that's barrel-aged versus a Chardonnay that's in stainless, the stainless shard is much brighter. Uh, the oak shard is going to have much softer vanilla notes, butter notes. Same thing with the beer. Uh, the beer coming out of the stainless is very bright. Uh, the beer in the oak gets really mellowed. And when you blend the two together, you just get a, a whole lot of complex character. Hold that question. Uh, Adam's going to tell us briefly about this cheese, and then we'll take your question. Uh, the cheese we're trying is called Cabot Cloth Bond Cheddar. Uh, Cabot 
is made by Cabot Creamery, which probably a lot of folks are familiar with. Sorry. Um, a lot of folks are probably familiar with. You can find Cabot cheese. Uh, it is really, really good. Anybody like this? Is it all right? Yeah. Um, we were sitting in the kitchen, standing in the kitchen after work, and drinking this beer, which uh, Rob and uh, his folks were kind enough to send down, and um, trying it with a lot of different cheeses. And so we tried it with a Cabot, and we thought it was great. Uh, but we thought that there could be another dimension that would just take it to the next level. And so we added some honey, and we found that the, um, I don't know, sort of bright, lively, floral uh, character of the honey and the sweetness of the honey really elevated the pairing to something else. And uh, I was just telling you that uh, the um, honeycomb and cheddar is also, uh, I mean, honeycomb and any cheese, I meant to say, is also killer. Uh, when you have honeycomb, do you guys, does she also harvest honeycomb? Try it with cheese because um, the, the comb and the butterfat have this tendency to sort of meld together and it is luxurious and it's amazing. Um, the cheddar, I'll hurry up. The cheddar, uh, the cheddar is uh, from February of 2011. It's made by Cabot, which is, um, I do believe, the oldest still uh, in operation dairy cooperative in the country uh, based up in Vermont. Cabot makes it. They hand it off to the sellers, and the guys up in the cellars do a hell of a job flipping cheddar every day. I went and worked there for one day and um, got worked. Uh, I worked until noon. I worked until noon. Um, I had to change my shirt a couple times. Uh, you know, it's really these cheeses um, require a lot of tending to while they age, and you're flipping, you know, a 35-pound wheel of cheese every day. And you're not flipping one 35-pound wheel of cheese. You're flipping like 800 or more. We flipped like 800 before noon. Um, <laughs> it was very, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, it, it was great. Uh, did, was there a question in the back that we were waiting on? Butterfat tends to settle, and by flipping it, you're um, taking the bottom, putting it on top, taking the top, putting it on the bottom, and it allows for even ripening. Um, different cheeses require for that for a different amount of time. You do it more often early on, and then you do it less so and less so. You had a, que you had a question. Let's ask her. The name of the beer? Oh, sorry. Good question. Uh, this is the Allagash Interlude. So. Um, yeah, and it's actually named interlude because of the rest between the two fermentations. And I'll mention with this, one of the most striking things about this pairing to me is that uh, the fruit flavor just explodes out of this beer when, when you eat the cheese uh, with the beer. So it just brings out a ton of flavor in the beer. And this pairing's a home run. Yes. I think all these are home run. Uh, do you agree? Yeah? This is good? Excellent. Very good. All right. So... Um, the, the question I'm going to pose while we're noshing on this wonderful cheese is, Adam, when I talked to him a couple days ago, he, he wants to talk about the state of American cheese. That may sound like really heavy. We are in D.C. But um, let's talk about the state of American cheese in about two minutes. All right. And then, Rob, we're going to talk about the state of American beer. Okay. And then uh, we're going to go on to the fifth pairing. All right. All right. Here we go. It's not like we don't have so much to share. It's ridiculous. She looks worried that I'll talk for longer than two minutes. Um, uh, 
Um, the reason why I brought that up is because it's a very exciting time to be a cheesemonger and to be a cheese distributor and somebody who buys cheese, sells cheese, um, handles cheese, plays with the cheese. Um, because there are uh, so many wonderful American producers who are um, not only honoring traditions, uh, European traditions for recipes and cheese making, but um, making exciting new cheeses as well. And uh, there are new dairies cropping up, new creameries cropping up, I should say, uh, all the time. And uh, quality is great. Um, the American Cheese Society is having a conference this year uh, on the East Coast. And every year there are more and more uh, creameries invited and creameries that attend. And um, it's, it's sort of reassuring and wonderful to know that uh, focus is um, being shifted back to uh, making, you know, working very hard to make handmade products like we're enjoying now. Because uh, it means, you know, when you're buying cheeses like this, your money is going to support the people who are making it. And that's one thing we were talking about prior to this is that it's really important to know um, who's making not only cheese you eat, but the food you eat and the beer you drink. And uh, it, it I feel very blessed to work at a cheese counter that um, uh, focuses on American cheese because we have so much to choose from. Uh, there's more and more every day. We work with excellent family farms. Are we at two minutes? Um, excellent. Oh, man. Uh, excellent family farms that um, are becoming generational or they have been generational, and it feels really good to sell these products and to um, know that we're supporting people who work really, really hard. I mean, I feel like I'm an enabler, you know, uh, that, that as a cheesemonger, we enable people to continue to do what they love and to continue to make what they love. Uh, it's a good feeling, um, and I'm sure it feels good to make beer, too. Indeed. And before I pass this to Rob, I think that it's interesting. I, I live in Oregon. Rob lives in Maine. You live here. And I don't know, who else, where are you from in the country? Who, who's not from here? Louisiana, Texas, Montana. I mean, beer and cheese, it's truly an American phenomena. I think it's it, the, thank you, Missouri. Yes, I grew up in Minnesota. So I think that the point of how we all have come together as a country is not corny. It's actually very prescient. It's a remarkable country li we live in when we can enjoy something like this completely with our freedoms and our rights and everything like that and, and enjoy it with anybody we want to. And I think the cheesemakers and the beer makers of this country are an excellent example of that. And we live, like Julia says, in extraordinary times. No time in our recent history have we been able to do this. Have we been able to enjoy such amazing broad-range flavors uh, freely of our own goodwill and sometimes of our influence choices, but that's okay, too. So, um, Rob, tell us about the state of American beer. Um, first of all, one thing I, I just forgot to mention, right when I found out I was doing this pairing, um, Adam and I were talking a little via email, and I was going to be out in the Bay Area. This is about two weeks ago. So I asked him if he could hook me up with a tour at uh, Cowgirl up in Petaluma where they make a, a good portion of the cheese. And it was really cool. If you guys are ever out there, it's just uh, not even an hour north of San Francisco, and it was really cool. I got to chase, taste cheese that was, you know, a few days old, a week and a half old, three weeks old. So it was, it was pretty cool to see it. Um, 
As far as what's going on in the world of beer, not much is really going on with craft beer these days. <laughs> no, uh, there's obviously a lot going on with craft beer. It is an extremely exciting time. Uh, breweries opening up all over the place. Uh, there's a bunch of breweries that are opening up in D.C. now. Uh, very cool bars opening everywhere that are specializing in craft beers, restaurants. I mean, if you think about it, 20 years ago, you did not order beer when you went out to eat. It was day class A. And maybe the restaurant had Heineken. Uh, now, a nice restaurant doesn't open up without putting three, four, five beers on draft. Um, one of the coolest things to me about beer and one of the things that excites me the most about being in the industry now is just the innovation. There are beers being made uh, right now that have never even existed before. People are just coming up with these new styles, with new ingredients. Uh, we're very excited about beers like the one you're about to try now that uses wild yeast and bacteria to create new flavors. So uh, th this is what's happening now in the U.S. is definitely historic. There's n never been innovation on this scale any time in the history of making beer. And really the rest of the world, beer culture all over the world is looking to the U.S. now. It's, it's kind of, it's interesting because uh, the U.S., uh, it took beer cultures from all over the world as our craft industry was getting started, and now it's kind of going back the other way. Uh, brewers in Belgium, England, even Germany um, are looking to the U.S. And, and, and seeing the innovation that's going on there and bringing that innovation back to their country. So it's an exciting time. Uh, so this this next beer, as I mentioned, we're very, very excited about this. Uh, this is a project we started a little over four years ago. Uh, the Belgians traditionally make uh, a style of beer called Lambic. Uh, these beers are spontaneously fermented. So instead of boiling the wort, cooling it in a sterile environment, and adding a yeast culture, this beer is boiled, and then it's basically uh, pumped out into big op uh, a big open vessel, exposed to the outside air. It, it cools in that shallow open vessel overnight, and as it cools, natural yeast and bacteria uh, land in the wort. And then the wort goes into oak, and that natural yeast and bacteria ferments the, ferments the beer out. This beer takes uh, about three years to make. So it's a blend of beers that is uh, one-year-old, uh, two-year-old, and three-years-old. And then what we'll do is we'll add fruit to the beer. So for this, so this is the red. I haven't even tasted it. It's the red, right? I haven't even tasted it yet. Oh, this is the cerise. So, thanks, thanks. So this has got cherries in it. Uh, it's it's got a, almost a cinnamony cinnamony nose to it. I just put a bunch in my mouth. Um, so the cheese. You guys want to try it together? Because I have a bunch in my mouth, anyways. <laughs> All right. So take a bite of cheese, everybody. And uh, swallow some beer with it. <laughs> well, let me finish first, and I'll, I'll answer. You also notice that is pretty good. Uh, you also notice that there's a little bit of red stuff on the plate, which is um, a uh, basically like a cherry conserve. Um, the the word is hard to pronounce. Confiture, confiture. Um, but it's uh, a cherry conserve. And um, Inverness is the other cheese on the plate that is made with the milk from the herd of John Taverna's Jersey cows. Uh, 
John Taverna is a is a wonderful guy, and his cows produce wonderful milk. Um, and we make this very young cheese with that milk. Uh, the milk travels very, very short distance um, from Petaluma to Petaluma, pretty much. Uh, I mean, it's it's down, it's down the road. It's it's a, you know um, really close, and uh, that assures that the milk is very fresh. Um, if you do not start with really uh, wonderful raw ingredients, you don't get cheeses like this. Um, this is a cheese. This is the smallest in production that we make. It's called Inverness. Uh, has anybody ever been to the town of Inverness? I'm surprised. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful town. Um, that's where the, the, the cheese gets its name. And um, she was saying it's sticky. Uh, it's got um, a thin but noticeable rind on the exterior, which uh, um, covers a really um, dense but almost pillowy paste. You know, when you talk about cheese, you talk about the rind, you talk about the paste, and the rind is the exterior. While the paste is the interior, and that's what you kind of go for. Uh, when tasting cheese, I encourage people to try the paste first and then go for the rind. Um, the paste, yeah. And uh, what do you think? Does it, does it work? Yeah. Uh, what about with the conserve? What about without the conserve? What? <laughs> hell? Uh, this cheese, so this cheese is um, do, 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 20 days old, about 20 days old. Yeah, um, the two cheeses, so uh, yeah, Pierce Point and um, Red Hawk were made about 45, around 45 days ago. Uh, they're, they're pretty close in age. Um, like I said, the Bailey Hazen is from February of this year. Uh, the Cabot Cloth Bond is from February of last year. And the Inverness is from 20 days ago this year. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so this beer takes about three years to make. So uh, I'll, basically it's fermented out by wild Saccharomyces, uh, then Britannomyces will take over, and then the bacterias will take over. It's all in oak, and it does take three years. And this is a blend between probably a, a little bit of one- or two-year-old beer, quite a bit more three-year-old beer, just for complexity. Uh, and then it's aged on the cherries for only a few months, maybe uh, four or so months. Oh, so the, so the question is, is, is it like a three-year goose? A goose is a blend of one, two, and three-year-old beers. Um, it, it, it's a blend of beers, but not necessarily always one, two, and three-year-old. To make this beer, what we'll do is we'll taste a number of barrels, and we'll kind of blend to taste. So maybe sometimes it's a, a little bit of two and a lot of three. Maybe some years it's a lot of two-year-old and just a little bit of three. And some, sometimes it might have all three in it, whereas the goose blend w would definitely have one, two, and three-year. What's that? Yes. Hold your question. We'll get to it. What I want to know is a show of hands here. We've had five pairings, and I realize we're kind of midway into the evening. If you can wrap a couple brain cells around your favorite pairing of the evening. The first one was the white and, and the Pierce Point. Raise your hand if that was the very first one, if that was your favorite. Okay. The second one was the triple and the Red Hawk. Raise your hand if that was your favorite. Third one was the Allagash White, the black, and the, and the Bailey Hazen Blue. 
fourth one was the interlude and Cabacloth. And the, and the last one, which is, well, not in front of you anymore, but the last one. All right. What a great range, right? How extraordinary. The next time you decide to have people over, have them over for a beer and cheese potluck. Seriously. Tell everybody to bring a favorite piece of cheese and a six-pack of their favorite beer or a bomber, large format, 22-ounce, whatever you want of that beer. How about a hand for Rob and Adam? And I'll add, actually, Adam did all the pairings, and they're phenomenal. We didn't do the pairings. He did. You did, you did a great job. Yes, indeed. So we've just got about a minute and a half left. I know there's lots of questions. These guys will be here for a few minutes afterwards, so they are your captive audience for a few minutes. Any last general questions? Yes, ma'am. How do you store cheese the longest to retain the flavor and the freshness and so forth? Eat it quickly. Um, no, it, one, one of my um, favorite things to say behind the cheese counter is uh, buy small amounts and come back often. Um, however, we do have, I mean, I buy large chunks of cheese, as you probably can tell, and um, I hold on to them for a little bit. And the best way to uh, preserve the cheese in your refrigerator is to keep it contained. Um, the, I, I think that the biggest danger to storing cheese in your refrigerator is not mold, um, but it's drying out. You know, it's a cheese losing moisture and losing, losing its character. So wrap it tightly. Um, you can use any number of uh, um, wraps. I mean, plastic wrap, butcher paper, wax paper, foil. I, I don't prefer foil, but you can use it if you want. Most blue cheese comes wrapped in foil. Um, I honestly, I went to a um, secondhand store and bought an old cake box, and I do buy lots of cheese, so I needed a cake box. But um, you know, you can put it in some sort of like Tupperware container, or uh, like the thing that I had. It looked like a big cigar box, just a wooden box, and you can put cheese in there. It keeps it contained, and it also maintains a little bit of humidity and moisture in the air. Um, one thing you can also do if you don't want to buy a, like a cigar box or something um, is put it in your vegetable drawer. You know, it's called CRISPR for a reason because you can increase the humidity. And, um, you know, just crank that dial on up and put it in there with your lettuce and, and well-wrapped and it should be good. But it depends on the cheese, too. Um, really high moisture cheese like Inverness doesn't last as long. So buy a small amount and enjoy it with some beer. You have been a fantastic audience. I hope you've had a great time. Be sure to thank everybody down on the floor, Rob, Adam, the Cole crew. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us in iTunes or go to our website, craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. 